Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hey, welcome back to the Innovate for Impact podcast. I'm Dan Bentley and I'm joined by Tracy Newman. Today, we've uh, got some very special guests with us. We've got Fiona and Anna Glumack. Welcome to the show, Fiona and Anna. Thanks, Dan. Dan and Tracy, it's lovely to be here. Thanks. Great to have you on the show. Hey, you want to tell our listeners just a bit about who you guys are and what you do? So, we are the directors of the Herd Intergenerational Learning Centre, which is uh, Australia's very first shared roof intergenerational learning centre where our early learning care service or our childcare service shares a roof with a residential aged care home. So, our backgrounds, um, we're both early childhood teachers and most of my background has been in school management and leadership in assistant principal and acting principal positions and also in education consultant roles as well. And then Anna, I'll let you explain your background. I started in the early years space um, and then I moved a little bit more to just the, the wellbeing space for supporting children in terms of their emotional growth. So I guess when we, we heard about this concept, which was really in its infancy in, in Australia over five years ago, with both our backgrounds, you know, Fiona from that leadership and community sector and my background just from that psychology space, yeah, it really triggered both our passions to to, yeah, to, to learn more, which we'll tell you about later. Ah, yes. Well, I was going to say I was really excited when I heard the story of the herd. So I would love you to, to share more about that. I think it's really exciting. So over five years ago, five and a half years ago, Anna and I watched a beautiful documentary on an intergenerational learning centre in Seattle and it's the same concept where a childcare centre exists within the roof of a residential aged care home. And the documentary was just so moving, it made us laugh, it made us cry and I, I guess when you get all of those feelings it makes you kind of truly feel what it is to be human because you just feel everything and so after seeing that we were so inspired and it made us think of our own grandma who we were very close to and she spent the last year of her life in residential aged care and she was an absolutely wild adventurous vibrant Irish woman and when she went into residential aged care it was really hard to see her lose a lot of that spark and vibrancy and we just thought a program like we had seen on the documentary would have been so life-giving for her and would have brought so much purpose and yeah just joy to to her final years of life so we very naively the very next day decided to write a letter to hundreds probably of CEOs of residential aged care homes all across Australia. We kind of tried to research places that share, whose values aligned with what we were trying to achieve. And then, yeah, that kind of led us to meeting a range of different, I guess, organisations and 
it was always a huge ask because the the space that we we require is quite significant. It's well over a thousand square meters, and to be asking of that in a sector that is is crying for more space, there's more rooms needed in residential aged care. So it was a, a really big ask. And as well as just having the space, we also needed to find a place that was situated in an area that had the demographics and the demand for childcare. Yeah, so that's that's a decent sized challenge to take on on the on the back of watching a documentary. I would just love to hear. I mean, you, you talk about how you wrote hundreds of letters, but I'm sure that you didn't write hundreds of letters, meet someone, and then open. The herd, like there's, there's obviously a lot more that happened in, along that path. There was so much more. I think we were really naive to think we kind of had this vision that we'd write letters, find someone, and then we'd open in the the very next year. So the journey between writing a letter and finding the right place to partner with was probably a two and a half year journey. Within that time, there was a lot that happened. There was the Royal Commission into, into Aged Care. So while we had started conversations with particular organisations, often they had to quickly end when the Royal Commission was in, in process because it kind of meant that their priorities needed to change and the priorities were making sure that they were meeting best practice within, in their current way they were running their programs and I think not only it was you know just just waiting for a lot of stuff to blow over like the Royal Commission and and then we entered COVID it was really inspiring and refreshing to hear of a lot of interested organizations that you know a lot of those were non-for-profits so a big challenge was like we we did have the interest and and the feasibility was there but it was the fact that they just you know they were already running on a shoestring so you know, it was it was us just putting our hand up to say that we would, you know, write write the grants for them and we would assist with with fundraising the money that was needed for the capital works to be able to renovate the building to create this life giving space. So that was the next big big journey of, of the project. It was, you know, finding finding the perfect partner whose values aligned and yeah, the, the next phase was really, you know, over a year of, of writing grants and fundraising. And during that time, a show that everyone I'm sure is very fond of. The ABC's Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds had just started in its first season. So for us, that was fantastic for people to actually see an illustration of like, you know, this is, this is not just nice to do, it's wise to do. But I think it also helped illustrate because I remember when we first told like family and friends what we were trying to do and Obviously, they hadn't seen the documentary we saw to see actually how natural and how beautiful it is. And the thinking that this is a little bit wild, like a little bit out there. And so as well as raising awareness for how beneficial it is, I think it it showed that it actually is a very natural kind of, yeah, concept and it fits in with, I think, traditionally the way that families always were. So that, and I think that, yeah, like Anna was probably saying, it did, it triggered interest, I think, from, well, politicians 
who we'd written to before but hadn't heard from and then helped us win a big grant. But, but like going back a few steps, finding where we are now was kind of a bit of a serendipitous experience because things had kind of quietened down in terms of us trying to find a partner and then Anna moved to this area and just happened to drive past this residential aged care home where there were bulldozers and kind of older looking buildings where it looked like they were ready to demolish some infrastructure and we well Anna I'll let you tell this story because you were the one who did the driving but (laughs) approaching oh I I think it's yeah it's serendipitous in a way that yeah I guess we were just driving past and and you know we thought we got really good at stalking and and finding out like yeah we became really familiar with all the organizations around Australia and all the chains and you know this is just a a small standalone not-for-profit that we ended up partnering with so you know we hadn't really heard of this organization and you know when we actually drove past touch base it turns out that they were about to demolish you know not not far off they had a planning permit to demolish this area which we've now you know been able to to turn into this particular space so yeah it's all all aligned and it felt really right because yeah the ceo was really passionate about it and this was before old people's home for four-year-olds and just already had that passion and yeah, like the feel was just really nice. You know, it can be really confronting going into residential aged care homes. Like there's a lot of really evident loneliness. But it was really nice because the CEO, when we walked through, knew all of the residents' names. They were coming to her. Like it just felt that she genuinely did have that community-minded spirit and passion and motive. And so I guess that's how this came about. But And then, yeah, triggered our crazy efforts to fundraise the money to help, yeah, establish what, what we're in now. But like Anna said, yeah, we just became really good at stalking. <laughs> and I mean this in the most respectful way because we're so grateful for it. The contributions of philanthropists and, and larger organisations. And I think this this was like in, in the background of both of us working full-time and Fiona, you know, having having two little ones under under three years old. So it was also, yeah, at a, at a point where our, our passions were really strong, but, you know, getting to that stage where, you know, nearly reaching burnout without even opening. Yeah. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. With innovation, you need to have, you know, the right people, you need to have a good product or good ideas and things that you need to do. But so much of it comes down to timing, doesn't it? And I think some of those things that you mentioned through there were just great timing. The fact that you'd moved to this area and that you saw that there's this opportunity here, that that certain place was the right type of person who could partner with you on an initiative like this. The fact that the Australian public had been exposed to this great documentary through the ABC, there's so many things that made it the right time to do something like you're doing. And maybe a few years earlier may have actually been a hell of a lot harder. So what does it look like today? Yeah, it's like crazy how fast our occupancy has has filled. And I think that's because 
the community is really embracing this concept and there's lots of families who have families who whose extended family lives over live overseas or interstate or like far away. So yeah, we've got a really supportive family community who are very passionate about the idea as well. And yeah, like I guess what does it look like? It's yeah, I, I think I, I I work in the kinder classroom in my that's how I spend my days and for me, one thing that I notice is that every single day, there's not a day that goes by where the kids don't ask if they're able to see their grand friends. And there's just a genuine like connection. But just on that note of grand friends, it's very sweet because now, you know, our front playground has a gate to the street. And yeah, if a resident from next door goes past for a walk, you know, they just run up to the, run up to the fence and they're like, hello, grand friend, hello, grand friend. So lots of people have become their grand friends, even <laughs> though they might not know their names. And so it's, yeah, very sweet. But so we've created a, a quite a holistic model of, of our interactions with a four tier approach rather than just it being quite timetabled and, and restrictive to times. I guess we appreciate that the different priorities and preferences with, with the residents and, and also what works, works best for our children. So our first tier is planned co-design interaction. So that's when across, you know, the, the working week, each room will go over at a particular time. And, you know, in that kind of 50 minute to an hour space, we have a, a planned interaction that meets the interests of the children, but also what the residents enjoy doing too. So that could be, you know, making Play-Doh together or, you know, cooking, cooking, made graphics. Making graphics, that was a hit. An art and craft project. And, and that's really fantastic to see, especially, you know, some, some residents who, yeah, might push themselves a little bit more physically than what, you know, a lot of the, the, their staff normally see them do. And one of the key coordinators from, from next door, she's often in tears each time just seeing the residents just light up or, you know, do things that she often wouldn't see just in their kind of everyday everyday moments. So so that first tier, the, you know, the co-designed activities our, our second tier, we have an opportunity for a handful of the residents who've completed some checks to come in and volunteer. Um, so they might volunteer in one of the rooms with reading or, you know, doing some, some rhyme time with the babies. Our third tier is also just feeding into whatever's going on in their lifestyle program. So whether it's something going on with their therapy dog or they have a lot of fantastic rock and roll concerts and things like that. So if it's beneficial for some of our rooms to join that, we, we also bring that into our program. And our final one is, is our favourite, I think, and that's just allowing spontaneous, natural, incidental opportunities for interaction. So between, obviously, we're, we're shared roof, but kind of in the middle is a little hub called our lounge space where residents can come in and, and there's beautiful big windows to look inside the kinder room and also out into the baby's playground. So that space is for residents to access at any time of the day and just, just look into to seeing those beautiful moments, aha moments of the children and just that, you know, that feeling of seeing other kids laughing and smiling really impacts their day. We have a few residents who, you know, often don't leave their room and they've already asked you know our staff members to be able to take them down to our lounge space and it also just gives the residents that autonomy to you know come independently and just pop in and sit down in a comfortable space and yeah we also have some residents who come past and just pop into the playground they get mud cakes made in the sand pit that's like <laughs> and I think often 
know, if it's a really hot or if it's a really wet day, you know, we might just, you know, we might make craft for the residents and, and head over and deliver it. Or, you know, with our babies, we've got a beautiful little six-seater buggy where we load up the pram and we take them for walks through the corridors. And that's particularly beautiful to, to witness because we, you know, we might go into some corridors where, you know, this particular resident, she's over 100 years old and she never had children, so she doesn't actually have any visitors. And we, we went in with the babies and it was just really moving. Just, you know, she never leaves her room, doesn't get visitors. And just to see her face light up and just to see her hands stroke the little baby's feet. And, you know, it was sometimes when you come back from the interactions, you know, especially with those those types of room visits, you just, yeah, want to be in your own quiet space just because, yeah, a, a lot of the kind of moving feelings that you feel from, from just the, the connection, the value of connection. And it's just humanity epitomised. It's just, yeah, like the joy that you see from just the most simple thing of, of just that human connection is, yeah, it's it's just so special to, to be a part of it. So it's a real, I, yeah, it's a privilege to watch. And it's not about us and how privileged we feel to have that. It's about the residents and the benefits for them. And it's about the children and the benefits for them as well. But it is just so powerful and moving. And just the comments from the grand friends, you know, of saying this, that it makes like life worth living, being able to experience things like that. It's, yeah, pretty amazing. It's a huge commendation to your work to hear a comment like that, right? To, you know, that makes life worth living. That's huge, isn't it? What I really liked about what you said is that it seems like you guys almost just create the space and you create the opportunities for natural things to kind of happen. And I think you could have potentially gone down a different path with this where you could have really structured it and said, well, you know, this time, this is what people are doing and it only goes for this amount of time and that's all you kind of get to do. And tick, we've sort of done a good job. What led you down this, like you said before, co-design type approach with this rather than the really structured approach? Well, we just really wanted to create a genuine community and in early childhood it's all about the children's voices, listening to them, like reading off them when we feel that it's enough time for them or they need more time with the connections or what their interests are. So to be too structured takes away from the needs of of the children and what their voice is saying to us. And likewise with the residents, it's not dictated by us, it's it's about what they like as well and which is why there's like a little working group within the residential aged care home where they can feed back to the lifestyle team about what they're liking, what they're feeling, yeah, they're getting a lot out of. And it's really great that intergenerational learning experiences are on the rise in Australia. But we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a tokenistic yes, let's, we've done our intergenerational activity for the day. Like we wanted it to be a living, breathing intergenerational community and having that shared roof capacity allows us to have those spontaneous moments where, you know, Alison and James will come into the playground and, you know, the, the kids will take their hand and show them around and make mud pies and things like that or, or they go and just sit and watch the babies like crawl at their feet if they're in a wheelchair and, because that's truly like what helps foster this community that we're trying to make. It's 
it's not restricted to time. It's like a living, breathing community. I'm, I'm probably not explaining it very no, well. No, I think you are. Yeah, I, I just want to add to that as well. Like, you know, for some of the residents, they maybe underestimate what they can bring or, you know, they, they might be a little bit shy initially. So, you know, for them, you know, one spontaneous opportunity might mm. just be setting up our art easels or water play over in, in their beautiful sensory garden. And, uh, yeah, there's a beautiful veranda where some of the residents just come in and they just watch rather than coming to, you know, the arts and crafts mm. or the music and movement or the cooking. You and know, for them, to commit to it. Yeah, for them that's enough, that type of interaction. And we've been told that, you know, a lot of those spontaneous natural interactions where we might just go and do one of our everyday activities without the pressure of them coming at a timetable time. You know, some residents have been told who never normally leave their room just naturally come out to, to just sit and watch and, yeah. I'm feeling really moved listening to these stories. I too was very fortunate. I spent a lot of time with my grandma when I was growing up. So, oh, yeah, I'm actually feeling really emotional hearing you talk about this because I'm so appreciative of that time. She lived to be 105 and her last years were in residential aged care, but it was so glorious that my children got to know her as well because we had that ability and it's just been lovely to see that relationship and it's great that you're able to foster those relationships for people who don't have that family and that that don't have those opportunities because it it really is so important and you said that that you're getting some some great feedback and we know the benefits of that intergenerational learning but have you got any sort of stories or any outcomes that you're seeing outside of just the the feedback that you're getting from people yeah, like I guess we have the anecdotal feedback from the residents' perspective of hearing from the lifestyle coordinator and they're recording these moments as well of the stories like it's also a respite, yeah, provides respite care where families might bring their, their father or their mum in just to have some respite and there's stories where there's one grand friend who usually cries like every time he gets dropped off and just spends all the time in his room and they managed to convince him to come to one of the activities last month and he's, he's 101 and he's been to every single activity since and just yeah like I think you can see on their faces how like the joy and just their eyes like light up and so there's so many stories about that and where Anna said you know the grand friend who has no visitors at all and just seeing their faces light up or even there's ones there's grand friends who have quite high care needs and don't move at all but if they see the babies come they'll like hold up their hand and wave and that will literally be the very first time the lifestyle team have ever seen them the move yeah there's also lots of conversations that we've had with the grand friends just about how how much joy it has brought to their life like I was saying earlier you know one of our grand friends said that it made life worth living and we certainly get lots of yeah comments like that on a regular basis but I think also from the children's perspective what I find really moving is that it can be really confronting, I guess, especially for young children to walk into a space where you are exposed to, I guess, yeah, like a disability in all different forms. And I guess sometimes the appearance can be confronting with the frailty of the skin, skin that's tearing. 
And I think what is really beautiful now is that, and I speak from the perspective of the kinder kids, when we first went into that environment, you could see the how confronting it was for the kids, the kind of, well, like, moment on their face. And what is so beautiful now is that when we walk into that space, the external appearance is nothing. It means nothing. They don't care about what they look like. It's all about the joy of them as people. And I think that is what, for me, has been the most powerful thing is that that's what connection and genuine connection is about is that you see a person for who they truly are beyond that surface level. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's really, really nice. Like there's just that beautiful shared recognition between both generations of each other's vulnerabilities. Like the children really have that empathy of the vulnerabilities of the grand friends and the grand friends know that these beautiful children are just yeah like they have their own vulnerabilities and are really precious and there's just this beautiful mutual appreciation and understanding of of that and i guess beyond the anecdotal evidence that we're recording we also have partnered with a phd student from deakin university who is also looking to measure the impact we've also been really mindful of making sure that what we are doing is evidence-based and that it does have an impact it isn't just something that feels nice for us to be able to see or for like families to say oh we go to this like really cool novel place um so we have partnered a lot like in the very very early days we happened across an amazing research team at griffith university who have developed a team purely focused on advancing research in the intergenerational learning space so yeah we've been really fortunate to have their advice their input like helping us connect with other organisations or individuals with a research interest or just a general passion for this field or even um, experience in running an intergenerational learning program. And I think that's what's been really refreshing as well. Like this passion really spiked a lot of zest and energy, but then, yeah, you do get to those points in, in just the setup and the, and the, the project initiation phase where where you do need your own little cheer squad and yeah so just having those amazing people from yeah I guess different parts of Australia having a little global village where everyone's just for the benefit of of sharing their knowledge and and coming together for a greater force for good so you know I think that's what's been uh, a real help in the last kind of five years just yeah broadening our networks of, of people doing something similar you know initially it was global because this this documentary that inspired us for this project came from Seattle which was the world's first ever intergenerational learning space that was shared roof which set up over 30 years ago so starting with that connection of Seattle to you know making a beautiful connection with a similar space in in London and then getting some some beautiful uh, tips and, and tricks and and words of encouragement from Griffith University which were the first real organisation in Australia to, to there's been so much research into the psychosocial benefits but you know they did a lot of work as well into the socio-economic benefits as well of this type of model so yeah doing something like this you, you do need your cheers mm-hmm. for family and friends and 
we're lucky that we're, you know, really close and we, yeah, we've got each other through this. We wouldn't have been able to do it without each other, but it's just that broader community of strangers, you know, people who just reach out to you at that time in need, whether it's someone who's read about your story and is a lawyer and they've just been, you know, this particular woman, Alice, she's just been absolutely amazing in just, just helping us get to this stage of Googling stuff to, to work out what does this mean and what do we do here and, you know, to just have have a team of, you know, essentially strangers who just have that same value in, in what this project will bring and similar stories of maybe being raised by their grandparents and, and yeah, being so excited by what this will bring to others of what they had when they were growing up. So, yeah, I think just, yeah, a, bit, a big special thanks to those people who've, who've helped make this project what it is. Hey, thanks so much, Anna and Fiona, for sharing that story with us around how you've built the Herd Intergenerational Learning Centre. Super interesting. Really love the, the co-design approach that you're taking between both the, the young people and also the elders, creating this community together and, and being able to you know, share these amazing experiences of life as people sort of grow. So it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much and looking forward to hearing more about your journey as you keep going. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.